We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Dimitri Buras of the now media-owned China Post. Good evening. And Xiaoxing Sheng, who after leaving the new power party, is now working for independent legislative candidate Freddie Lim. Good to see you again, Gavin. Tonight we'll be discussing a DPP draft bill for an anti-infiltration act, which is designed to boost prevention of foreign forces from intervening in Taiwan's political system and elections. The announcements of childcare and child subsidy policies by the DPP and the KMT, as both parties seek to outline their policies geared towards tackling the fast-decreasing birth rate here. Fines under the Uber clause taking effect from this Sunday, a China-less Golden Horse Awards event, and apparently there's a huge lack of sense of humour here in Taiwan, but we'll be finding out more about that at the end of the show. And we'll begin this week with authorities banning two executives from a Hong Kong-based China-funded company from leaving Taiwan on Sunday as the Taipei District Prosecutor's Office investigates allegations of spying. Now, China Innovation Investment CEO Shang Xin and his wife and alternate board member Gong Qing were stopped for questioning when they tried to leave the Taoyuan International Airport on Sunday. And they're facing allegations by self-confessed Chinese spy William Wong that their company was helping Beijing control Taiwan's media. Now, prosecutors have listed Shang and Gong as formal suspects in the case on suspicion that they violated the National Security Act by illegally developing an official organisation for another country here. Both, though, are reportedly denying the allegations. Now, this week, Interior Minister Xu Guoyong says the ban on their leaving Taiwan was a judicial response, and he denied any claims that it was a political action. However, critics are arguing that the detention of the Chinese couple is solely politically motivated. And the claims by William Wong, who of course was the self-confessed spy who is now seeking asylum in Australia, are also being brought into question, with the KMT saying that the self-confessed spy may not have in fact worked for China's intelligence service as he's been claiming. Also this week, China's state media released images from a court video in Shanghai in which Wong is allegedly confessing to fraud during an October 2016 trial and that's being seen as an attempt by China to discredit the charges that he was actually one of their spooks. So, Xiao, Chinese couple banned from leaving Taiwan, allegations of spying, also questions about how they were allowed to buy, I believe, a couple of $100 million NT apartments in Taipei's glitzy Shinny district that they apparently used as their base, like a lair, evil lair in the Shinny district there. Yes, lair it is, indeed. Um, th- this case is very, very important because uh, uh, as soon as the uh, William Wong case uh, gained publicity like, all over Taiwan, uh, people are debating whether it's true. I mean, because on the face of it, um, it, it seems very real because it's covered by a Australian media and it uh, has nothing to do with Taiwanese politics. So people were immediately drawn to it and then discussing it online and in the streets. Um, but immediately the, the KMT camps or the pro-China camps, you know, begin to push back on the story. And of course, with the help of uh, a Chinese Communist Party, they uh, push out the, the cover that uh, William Wong is a convicted fraud felon. Um, so all this has uh, pushed um, this conversation into disarray, well, whether it's, it's a true story or not a true story. So with the resting of this uh, Shangxing couple, it actually helps to uh, solidify the details of William Wong's um, you know, stories and actually put some you know, legs 
uh, on this uh, coverage. And so this is very, very uh, intense debate on whether we should keep pursuing this investigation. And also there's one thing I want to mention that although this case gains publicity um, because William Wong blew his cover and exposed the scheme, but uh, investigations like this of uh, Chinese spies in Taiwan is being undergoing, I mean, it's been ongoing, um, although it's in stealth because it's very, very sensitive matters. So uh, it is true that Taiwan is uh, on the front line of Chinese uh, infiltration and this Chinese influence is seen everywhere in, in, in temples, in local communities. Um, and we, I, I feel that Taiwanese authorities need to look seriously at this issue. Dimitri. Well, I, this is a serious accusation. Well, that must be carefully investigated. They have been uh, listed as formal suspects for allegedly violating the National Security Act by illegally developing an official organization for another country in Taiwan. At the same time, allegations by the self-confessed spy must also be carefully investigated as his statements must be confronted to facts. In the meantime, we should refrain from making bold statements and speculate about the role of the alleged spy in the UK protest. Despite the statements from Hong Kong and Taiwan activists, China has been unable to bring any favorable outcome to recent elections. So, contrary to local politicians, we have to uh, use the argument uh, time and again in the election uh, campaign. We just need to wait and see and just wait for the investigation to be completed. Ryan Xiao, do you think, do you think that the, the government could be looking left, looking rather rather red-faced if it's proven that A, William Wong is full of baloney, to use a word, and this couple were simply doing business here? It may be the case indeed, but... Um but the, the government is not responsible for exposing the story. I mean, the, the, this Chinese spy, you know, is seeking asylum in Australia, and it's, the coverage is in Australian media. Um, so, although the, the, the pro-China camps here in Taiwan is accusing the DPP government of manipulating Australian media, which is a very funny accusation, because uh, uh, the truth be told, I mean, Taiwanese government just has no power over w- w- what international media is covering. So, um, so right now. Uh, the 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 government party is now is actually a third party, so they are actually waiting patiently to let the story play out and to let the investigation play its course. So I I don't think if the whole thing turned out to be a a, a fake story, I, I don't think that the government is going to take in a huge blow. And of course, Dimitri, this William Wong character apparently he. He, people are saying that he might well have read some of the facts he's divulged to Australian intelligence services in the media. But, of course, he did expose this alleged Chinese cover company, which, of course, and then people are arguing that, well, he may have exposed it, but, of course, it was a listed company. He could have actually found out about it simply by looking at listed companies on the TIEX. Well, that's the point. Just uh, if you want to look at the facts carefully and just wait after the elections to come up with a complete report on the situation, that would be much better than now we're speculating. We actually don't know uh, his role in the protests in Hong Kong and the the role of the alleged spies in Taiwan. So this is an election time, and we shouldn't speculate on facts during an election. Right, but I mean, if it's proven that this couple are completely innocent and William Wong's a fraud, do you think that could damage the DPP? And as the election very, very, very rarely gets nearing. Well, I think it won't happen over the next three to four weeks. If it happens, it's after the election, and that would be too late. But I think it's 
going the other direction now because it's been covered that the, the Xiangxin family has been in a photo with uh, William Wong. So it's been the news that um, at least they are in proximity together in Taiwan or in China or in Hong Kong. So uh, there's no denying that they know each other. So these stories turn out to be more and more incredible day by day because William Wong seems to know a lot of details about these uh, Chinese spy rings uh, in in the uh, Taiwan and Hong Kong area. And um, I'm just eager to see why it's turning now. And of course the KMT rolled out a former intelligence operations officer in Taiwan this week and he stood at a press sat at a press conference rather and said well if this was true the Australian intelligence services wouldn't have announced it. Do you think, do you think he had a point or do you think he's like generalising and maybe maybe thinking that the Joe public just believes what they see in the spooky movies? There is a lot of he say uh, he say in this moment. I mean, the the the, the, the official also said that this William Wong is too young to be any uh, credible spy in the Chinese intelligence community. Well, uh, there's a lot of uh, debate going on, but um, uh, as Dimitri said, we're waiting to see hard, con- you know, concrete evidence coming out to service. Too young. Well, James Bond was young once, of course. <laughs> Very young you Sean Connery. So I guess age might not be everything when it comes to being a spook. Well, Snowden is pretty young, so. That's true. There you go. Anyway, moving on, but staying with the related news, the DPP this week unveiled a draft bill it says has been designed to complement existing laws aimed at preventing hostile foreign forces from intervening in Taiwan's political system and elections. Now, the bill defines a hostile foreign force as a country or group at war or in a military standoff with Taiwan that upholds the idea of jeopardising the island's sovereignty by non-peaceful means. Now, according to the DPP, the Anti-Infiltration Act will prohibit anyone from making political donations, influencing elections, proposing the recall of government officials or launching a public referendum at the instruction of or with the financial support of an infiltration source. However, the KMT says the bill would undermine Taiwan's democracy and freedom and could be used to target the DPP's political enemies. Now, KMT caucus whip William Sung says that opposition lawmakers will back such a bill, but only if the DPP can prove it will help Taiwan's national security. Tsang also argued this week that there are currently no evidence that that would be the case, while other KMT officials are arguing that anti-infiltration laws aimed at countering outside influence in Taiwan's elections are already on the books after lawmakers passed a series of amendments to national security laws in May. So, Dimitri, a standoff over anti-infiltration laws. The KMT saying it could stymie democracy. Well, the DPP says, well, we need it because people are meddling in our affairs. Well, Taiwan people are very good at, you know, meddling in other people's affairs. But this is actually very worrisome that this would let the ruling party decide whether individual or political parties are interfering in elections. Facts are facts, and we shouldn't let authorities decide on a daily basis what is right and wrong. If you make false, uh, fake statements uh, online or on the internet, well, uh, you are you can you can be charged uh, for, for 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 libel. This is very simple, but it shouldn't be on a daily basis. The government who decides on you know, what you say is right or wrong. Um, the government in Singapore has tried this uh, recently and passed an, a fake law, the first fake law in Asia, and they're already confronted with this issue because they are asking uh, people who made uh, statements on Facebook and they're asking them to change their statement because according to the uh, local authorities, they're not com- they're not conform to the facts. 
So, well, that's an issue. And democracy is a process. It's not a temple. You don't need to pay your respect to uh, democracy all the time. It's just a process. If we, um, for example, if uh, we make false statements and we try to influence the elections, well, please, uh, you're entitled to, to, to be sued. That's not a problem. What about if, if a foreign country gives you money to do that, though? Is that taking it one step further, do you think? Well, is, do we need an, an extra law to deal with such an issue right now? Isn't that covered in existing laws? Uh, I'm not an expert. Which is the county argument, of course. There's already laws, shall that cover this. Yeah, but it's not complete. I mean, first of all, I completely agree with Dimitri that um, democracy has uh, freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of press, and then they should be protected. Whether you know whether I want to publish a, a fake news or disinformation online, I, I should have the freedom to do so. But but I think what this act is designed to combat is uh, is weaponized disinformation. Just as Gavin mentioned, if there's uh, intent of foreign power behind the the spreading of, of a propaganda that's designed to influence the election or to uh, sway the public opinion on, on something that's favorable to uh, say that such foreign power, then this needs to be really uh, dealt with with extra care. So I, I think DPP's draft of this bill is actually heading toward the right direction. Although to me, it's, it's probably not strong enough. It has not, has not enough leg to actually prevent such a weaponization of disinformation. But I think it's, it's definitely in the right direction. Direction. But do you see a foreign power actually initiating a referendum? Uh, in Taiwan? Yeah. Um, I don't think the foreign power has such a, you know, such a, 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 a powerful way to actually initiate in a referendum. But what they can do is they can, you know, uh, use the, the fake information in such a way that to, uh, to influence people's thinking that they uh, move toward a referendum unknowingly that because that's something that is your intention that's propagated by, by a foreign power that's something that we worry deeply about well about the referendum well there were some uh, statements in the media recently about uh, the situation in Jinmen and where whether maybe uh, supporters of unification with China could maybe initiate a referendum or passing or finding ways to let first more Chinese tourists coming to uh, to, to Jinmen and then maybe later on just to st- start a unification process with men in China. Mm-hmm. But when you first when you mention foreign powers actually it's only uh china so if it's the the the, the law is meant against uh any attempt by uh, local authorities or mo- local politicians to improve relations with china just make it clear it's just because because of china mm-hmm. and we have elections every uh two uh, every four years so we sh- once you are in office, you should have, because you've just been elected, you should have the right to implement a range of policies mm-hmm. for which you were elected. We're actually setting new rules and regulations so that after an election, if you lose that election, the new ruling party won't be able to pass the legislations that are you actually against them already right now. Mm-hmm. So it's a trick. 
uh, again, it's a, the democracy is a process. So, well, the process is here. Now this is election time. And we should focus on the election and discuss on about real issues in the elections about instead of this China thing that's been going on for one year about influencing the election, blah, blah, blah. 70 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Xiao, Dimitri made a good point there. Do you think the, the DPP should just come out and not say a hostile foreign force? They should just call it China. Oh uh, well, <laughs> do you, yeah, do you but, know any other? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Is uh, right now the, the 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 single most hostile foreign force uh, is China, but in the future, who knows? So we, our hope is that this act can prevent any future hostile nations to to act against us in this way. But but I do want to talk a little bit more about this. Uh, 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 details about this act is that um, initially DPP caucus is not going to push for this, the passage of this act um, but because of this, uh, like the Chinese spy story uh, William Wong got all blown up uh, all over the place and people got really really worried about Chinese infiltration in, in Taiwanese societies so there's, there's a deep um, force that, that's, that's driving to toward the passage of this act. So I think that's why they're talking about this right now, because otherwise the, the action, election is so near, um, I don't think the DPP wants to risk a, 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 a blowback. Do you think they could have shelved the act until after the elections? Well, I think it's part of, it's a pattern. We've heard about these Chinese infiltrations for, for some time already. And there was another law already, uh, another draft uh, uh, proposed yesterday about schools and students who now have to let authorities know in advance that they are planning to travel to China. Mm-hmm. It's a pattern. It's just whatever you do with China nowadays, you have to, you are considered like, you have to explain yourself. Why do you do that? Why would you send your students to mainland China? I think it's really dam- damaging to the uh, to cross-trace relations. Cross-trace relations start with people-to-people contacts. And then business came in. Mm-hmm. And then there was a start of... There were some discussions between authorities at the you know the government level. Now we're going backwards, and we're making sure that authority, whoever is the ruling party next month, won't have the won't be able to do anything else than continue the policy today. Yeah, I completely uh, agree with that, Dimitri. That, but that's not uh, democratic. The, 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 the people-to-people <laughs> contact with the Chinese is is not a bad thing in itself. It's just that the, if you look at the, the student tours to China, they they are mostly paid for by Chinese organizations. And when they were in China touring the city, they in every stop they are preach Chinese propaganda about one country, two systems, uh, either either very brazenly or, or subtly. So I mean, this is something that we worry about. It's not it's not we are banning you know all contact with Chinese people. It's that we are looking carefully at the uh, politicized or weaponized use of money to influence Taiwanese. Then I guess the government could do the same with Chinese tour groups come here still. The government at the airport could greet them with singers and dancers and signs that say, hey, democracy rocks, baby. (laughs) You know, Chinese tourists, some Chinese tourists were caught calling those talk shows on TV and making comments and trying to interact with the host on TV. I mean, that's part of the, the process. They're also, when they're in Taiwan, they're exposed to Taiwan society. Well, fair enough. When you go to China, you're exposed to the Chinese society. Just, we need, you need to deal with it. Yeah, well, I agree. 
Anyway, let's move on to something a bit more domestic, and that being this week's election news, where the DPP and the CAMT both announced policies they say are geared towards addressing the island's massively shrinking birth rate. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen's campaign team announced on Saturday that her administration plans to double the child subsidy from 2,500 to 5,000 NT per month, and those subsidies will also be extended from birth to six years instead of four years old for the children to get subsidies, as is currently the case. Now, Minister Without Portfolio, Lin Wan E, said the expanded subsidy scheme will mean the government has to increase the budget for child subsidy programmes from 60 billion to 100 billion NT. And Lin says those funds will be allocated from the existing budget and not cause any additional financial burden to the government. And the new child subsidies are expected to be introduced at 2021 at the earliest. Meanwhile, Hang Guo Yu's election campaign team was outlying its child and childcare subsidies policies on Monday. Now, according to the KMT's vice presidential candidate Simon Chung. If elected, Han will offer a one-time payment of 30,000 NT for a first child and 60,000 NT for a second child starting next year. The KMT also plans to offer families an annual allowance of 60,000 NT for each child under the age of six. And the KMT says those funds are geared towards providing parents with child subsidies so they have flexibility to choose and take care of their children and infants either at home or at childcare day centres. Now, the budget for Han's childcare policies will come from the budget which was originally allocated for the current government's forward-looking infrastructure development plan. So, Xiao, it's like a bingo lottery. They're all offering money for people to go and have sex and have babies. Yeah, elections is nice, huh? That's right. Oh, well, first of all, there's no magic pill for the low birth rate problem. I mean, I mean, every nation's kind of facing this problem, especially Japan and, and also Taiwan. Um, but, you know, being election right around the corner, um, this is what the candidates do. They just throwing money and then they just that people see that uh, by electing them that they will you know give you the most money to raise the, the, your child um, well first of all I want to say that that's um, the ch- child care subsidy is is always there I mean right right now uh, the parents are getting like 2,500 uh, and, and President Tsai Ing-wen wants to raise it to 5,000 and Han Guoyu wants to give you uh, 30,000 right off the back once you give birth to a child but I, I just want to point out that um, President Tsai has been known to you know actually study the uh, her policies and actually come up with a solution and, and Han Guoyu if you look at his policies you'll see that he's just you know throwing out all the promises in even Kaohsiung or even in central government and we are really suspect that this promise is going to be kept if he's elected. Well, of course, Dimitri, you have a child. Would you consider having another child for 60,000 NT? Well, no. I've got two already, <laughs> but I mean, come on. I, they're heading in the right direction, but $5,000 per month, really, what can you do with that? Uh, the situation is more complex. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of be disappointed by uh, Tsai Ing-wen, by the President Tsai, for one reason, is that she's coming up with solutions now at the end of her fur four years in office. Why didn't we have such subsidies four years ago? Now, it's, as you mentioned, this is kind of a lottery. Everybody has, sub- there are subsidies for everything nowadays, for taxi drivers, Uber drivers, uh, hotels that don't have any tourists, blah, blah, blah. It's, well, they're giving away money, but they won't give away money for the next four years. All subsidies have a starting and an ending date. Mm. Now, but when you have a kid, okay, there is a starting date, but there is no ending date. You will be taking care of your kids, you know, for, for, for at least 20 to 30 years. 
it's a complex issue in Taiwan because it's not just the subsidy you get. Even if you get a subsidy, there is no available, there is no space available in public kindergarten. Do you know how difficult it is to get a seat in a kindergarten? You have to send your kid to a private kindergarten. And for that, you need three times that subsidy to be able to send your kids over there. If you have one kid, but what if you have two or three? It's mission impossible. Now, once you have your kid in a in a public kindergarten, once it, he or she gets into primary school, well, school stops at you know noon or th- 3 p.m. What do you do after that? Well, you have to send your kids to uh, a cram school. So what I'm saying is that it's a the whole system. It just want they just don't want us. We have to have kids mm. because they have budget constraints. Constraints, and they're t- they're telling you we won't have more kindergartens. We won't be able to keep kids to school until four five p.m. until you finish your job. So well, you give me five five thousand eighty dollar, fine, but that's not gonna help. That's what people actually need. They need right. help right now. Dimitri made a good point there, Shao. I mean, why the government suddenly came up with this? Couldn't they have done it four years ago? Yeah, well, actually, the the, the Thai administration has been ramping up the the childcare, you know, subsidy over the years. For example, uh, last year they they just ramped up um, even more from the previous year. Um, but but just as Dimitri pointed out, that the problem is probably not the money. No matter how much you raise the subsidy, uh, the, the shortage of kindergartens or public kindergartens are always going to be there. So I want to point out that the, probably the true solution for this issue is to raise the amount of kindergartens, especially just like, what, like they're doing in Taipei, the non-profit kindergartens, where they are run by private organizations, but they are not there to, to make a profit. Um, this is actually uh, very good solutions, but those kindergartens also face a shortage of uh, of teachers or caregivers. So this is a, a complex web web of problems that needs to be solved. Whether the subsidy alone is not enough. So, uh, but but that being said, just a. Uh, just like Gavin said, the, the elections right around the corner. Uh, if the government wants to make people feel right away that they are trying to solve any problems, subsidy is the way to go. Right now, we have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, and the so-called Uber Clause is going to be enforced from this Sunday. Now, we've talked about this before numerous times on this show, dating back several years. Now, the clause is Article 103-1 of the Regulations for Automobile Transportation Operators, and it states that Uber drivers found offering taxi services will face a fine of up to 90,000 NT. Now, the Uber Clause, of course, actually came into effect in June, but the government gave Uber drivers five months' grace period in order to have them apply for jobs at registered yellow cab companies so they will be covered by the multi-purpose taxi program. Now, of course, that program permits flexible rates with a minimum fare base without having to change Uber's general operating style, including the appearance of vehicles. Now, reports say of the 12,000 Uber drivers here in Taiwan, some 8,000 of them have now received their taxi service certification and they can operate with yellow cab companies. So the Uber clause, Xiao, you're a big backer of the Uber situation. They're going to be fined 90,000 NT if they're seen soliciting for fares on the side of the road. Yeah, right. But this time I, I'll probably side with the regulators because uh, back in uh, 
June, I've been calling for a uh, some leniency on this Uber situation because you know the government is forcefully asking them to change from a rental model to a to a taxi model, um, but they are now unwilling to do that just because the regulation at that time was not amicable for such a switch. But then in in the late um, August or September, they actually make a change in regulation so that Uber can. Um, do their fares adjustably and they actually can uh, pre-announce their fares before the customers get on a cab. So that's something that that makes the Uber operating model uh, able to continue. Um, so that's why I that's when I actually call for the Uber drivers to actually st- start seriously getting the uh, the taxi uh, driving permit. Um, but at that time, the the fine was going to go on in uh, in early October, and that that is just too short amount of time for the taxi drivers, you know, you know, to prepare for the exam, to actually sign up for the exam, and to go to the to the exam place to actually finish the exam. So I I, I was calling at that time for extension, um, and right now the extension is almost over. The fine is going to be uh, to to be to be levied. So I, I would say that um, we urge all Uber drivers uh, to actually uh, take the exam and then make the switch complete. Because I I don't want to see the street without Uber. Um, just yellow ta- caps. That's uh, that's not gonna satisfy the transportation needs of the city. Well, this is the beginning of the end of the sharing economy, right? Well, these are just regular taxi drivers. They just offer the same kind of service. The announcement, again, comes just right before the election because the president made a promise to uh, taxi drivers of about a year ago. And back then, there was also a subsidy given to the uh, to the taxi drivers to change their car. So all in all, I think that's this is the end of the sharing economy because what happened to the Uber uh, drivers will happen soon to the uh, food delivery uh, to the food delivery companies and uh, the food courier who made a decent living by just just being their own boss and they're just gonna be they will be forced to join companies and become former staff regarding uh, regarding the taxi driver my only concern is that well we have now an increase of certain terms of service but the tourism are not here the tourists are not here the foreign the foreigners there are uh, less than 11 million this year uh, travelers so even if you have your brand new car you have uh, the um, official matter that on, on the car now is you, how will you find you know clients to just ride your uber car now, of course, some of these Uber drivers are now working for Taiwan Taxi Show and companies like this. When you order a Taiwan taxi, which I've done several times, a yellow cab has not turned up, a regular car with a red number plate has turned up. Yeah, that's called the, uh, the diversified taxi, so it's different from regular taxi where they, they have a, a red pl- plate. Um, and that's what Uber has been, you know, forced to to take up a, a status as a, as a diversified taxi uh, instead of a, a rental or lease car. Um, so th- this whole debate about Uber has been settling down, but it is what it is. The government, you know, under pressure from the taxi industry, uh, cannot tolerate Uber to continue operate as, as a rental car model, um, which I I, I, sh- I, w- I was strongly op- opposing because this is really because Uber has been driven out of Taiwan. The first time in 2017 
and now in 2019, this whole saga about having to switch to to taxi, uh, this is really hurting the image of Taiwan as a hub of technological startups. Because people who invest in technology startups, they want to know that this is a city, this is a country that's friendly to to you know technology, that's friendly to you know something that the technology they may not have seen and used to, but they are all willing to open up their thinking and their regulation and the environment for the startup and for the technology to take root. So this is what matters in this debate, whether Taiwan is uh, sees itself as a as future for technologists to actually invest and then draw, draw you know international talents to this place, or they just want to go there always and then just let the whole industry take over. And of course, Dimitri, also what matters in this case is whether you get in a, a yellow taxi that stinks of odorous cigarette smoke or a large German car pulls up in front of you and you're surprised surprised by it because it's a big beamer or a Benz. Yeah, it happened before. I was kind of surprised and 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 happy because well, the service was there. And when you uh when you hail a cab a cab down the street, well, you kind of often end up in a very uh old car or not not that uh, clean car. So, well, we all want better service and I think that Uber and the new system, we hope that we get better service in the future. I mean, could you see this when this service comes in, Xiao? The regular Joe Blow yellow cab driver realises that maybe passengers might be a bit turned off with my dirty cab if cleaner cars and newer cars are being offered. That's what competition does to uh, 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 a market, right? So when, when yellow cab have competition with the better service and cleaner cars... But yellow cabs will benefit, and there will be uplifting force for yellow cabs to, you know, up their quality and, and their cleanliness. So I, I think I'm a free market, you know, supporter. So I, I, whenever the government wants to step into a market and then overregulate, that's something that I strongly oppose. Right. We'll pop off from taxis and move on to the Golden Horse Awards, which took place last Saturday, but were China lists as Beijing boycotted the event. Now speaking after the event, Oscar-winning Tai. Taiwanese filmmaker Ang Lee told reporters that although China's boycott was regrettable, he believes the award ceremony will continue to welcome all Chang Chinese language movies. Now, Lee was the chairman of the awards executive committee this year, and China's participation was put into doubt following last year's ceremony when a documentary director said during the award acceptance speech that she hoped the world would one day recognize Taiwan as an independent country. Needless to say, this irked China, and China this year said, Nay, we're not coming. We're holding our own Oscars, which, of course, was what Beijing did on the same day as the Golden Horse Awards were held in Taipei. They held the Golden Rooster Awards, which, of course, those movies that appeared there were okayed by the Chinese Communist Party. Now, all of this has set... well. Certain people getting a bit scared in the local movie industry because, of course, Dimitri, a China-less Golden Horse Awards will no longer be considered the Oscars of the Chinese-language film industry. Well, that's that's what happens when you mix politics with arts and entertainment and culture. Uh, we knew it from the start that, and I think in in previous years they were very careful in not to uh, expose or show their uh, support for either the blue camp or the green camp during the uh, the awards. Uh, it was a time to celebrate. Uh, the filmmaking industry in in Asia in the uh, greater China region. Now nowadays, well, sovereignty politics—it's the benchmark for whatever we do. So, 
whether it's uh, uh, art, culture, entertainment, now it's education, tomorrow it will be business. So we're just backpedaling to the future, as I said before. Xiao, a China list golden horse, can it continue to be the golden horse or do you think it will just people will stop paying attention to it? Well, I think the, in the future there will be a two version of uh, the Chinese Oscar. One will be golden horse, one will be golden roosters. And uh, in a very short amount of time, people will see that which award is for genuine creativity uh, and, and quality films and which one is for censorship and, and, and Chinese Communist Party's approval. So this is very important to say that um, the, the, the Taiwan you know, golden horse award we are not trying to mix any politics. We are for freedom of expression. If people want to go on the stage and see Taiwan needs to be independent, or they want to go on the stage and see Taiwan should be part of China, I mean, it's all accepted speech. There may be backlash from the audience, but they are all protected speech. They, they, they enjoy their freedom of speech. Where, where, on the other hand, in Golden Rooster, I don't think any film supporting Taiwan independence or any film that contradicts Chinese Communist Party's of stance will be allowed to be shown there, not, not even mentioned to get in a war. So th- this is something we need to seriously look at, that Chinese, Chinese government is always using its money and influence in trying to push its propaganda and its viewpoints all around the world. That is something they've been doing for years. What do you think, Dimitri? Do you think that maybe Malaysian movies in Chinese, Singaporean movies, Hong Kong movies, any Chinese language movie made in Asia, could you think in a few years if China continues to boycott the Golden Horse, they could simply choose to participate in the Golden Rooster because it would be a bigger platform because, of course, more people would watch it? Well, it's a business. You're not making movies just for yourself. You're trying to find a platform to promote your movie. Getting an award at the Golden Horse or the Golden Rooster, it's meant to find better distributors and to sell your products. Now, the Asian movie industry is very different from the European or the American movie industry. It's not that into politics. We're talking about comedies, entertainment, action movies. There is no usually no politics involved. What I would like to see, I'm, I'm looking forward to see next year, is whether Taiwan movies will just skip the uh, golden horse to go and try to get into the golden rooster what will happen how will the public react to that so well it's uh, it's a pity uh, we i'm not sure if we can uh, the the chinese you know took their chance now the rooster is is out it's going to be super hard to get it back into the box well i want to use a parallel example of uh, another entertainment industry which is nba i mean people would not want to talk politics there but politics uh, inevitably gets involved when you know there's a general manager just tweeting support hong kong and then you see this whole backlash from chinese you know fan base the chinese governments and a whole boycott of nba uh, well at the end of the day it's it, it's just what people wants to buy i mean you know is is chinese fans still talking about you know boycotting the nba no because the nba prevails they want to see the game so it's all about you know at the end of the day, people want to see the entertainment industry freely express themselves. They, they don't want to see any boycott because of any political reasons. Well, the, the, the NBA thing example is very interesting. But what the Chinese people, uh, what the Chinese authorities said, they just showed the contradiction 
from the NBA management of trying to sell the rights for the games in the US, in, sorry, in China, and then criticizing China at the same time. This is the contradiction. And it happens also in Taiwan. We are very good at, you know, criticizing the Chinese government and criticizing what they're doing. But at the same time, we are the first one trying to sell them products. We are the, we have a huge amount of companies doing business in China. So business benefits, you know, both parts of the Taiwan Strait. So what is the point in criticizing people all the time? Well, that's a serious note, but we won't finish there. We'll finish with something funny, or rather not funny, because apparently, according to the results of a recent survey by the National Taiwan Normal University... People here in Taiwan generally have a poor sense of humour. Now, the survey was conducted with other research teams in 25 countries and territories and found that Taiwanese ranked 15th overall in terms of sense of humour. The poll ranked Taiwanese in 17th overall in terms of benign humour and 16th in the category of hurtful humour. So, Xiao, give me a joke, mate. Go on, tell me you're funny. Um, Hango is very close to become our president. <laughs> is, is that funny? Well, that, that I guess there's some people might find that funny, others not. Of course, Dimitri, you're from Belgium, a country renowned for its sense of humour. Can you give me a joke? <laughs> I can't either, but really making a fun of Hango, uh, making a joke on Hango is not funny at all. <laughs> but Xiao, I mean, seriously, Xiao, do you think Taiwanese people are funny or not funny? Well, I would say it's not really funny because there was plenty of reasons we, we you know, we, we, we borrow some culture from Japanese and they, they are not very funny either. <laughs> so it's just very, uh, like, sternness in, in our culture. And also, if you look at our history, uh, we've been just lifted out of martial law not too long ago. So back at that time, if people crack jokes of using political satire, they, they'll end up in jail. So this is a, a tradition of, you know, not cracking jokes, inappropriate jokes from our parents teachings so this probably that's some of a reason for our unfunniness dimitri taiwan funny place not funny place well i think the the survey itself doesn't make any sense because being funny it's something local when you crack a joke in Taiwan, if you crack the joke in Taiwanese, even if I don't understand Chinese, by looking at everybody's face, I think it's really funny. So whether being able to, to understand somebody's joke or understand somebody's humor, it's a very different thing. The Taiwanese people are funny. Uh, and when we look at the movies or entertainment on the shows on television, they're pretty, pretty funny. Whether foreigners can get the jokes or not, it's a different story. Look at the British, for example. From Belgium, when we look at the British people, well, you guys sound not that funny. But <laughs> I would say you're kind of funny, actually. Shall? Still got yeah. a joke? Not, not a hang no, you joke? No, 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 no. yeah, no more jokes. Cause <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say that Taiwanese uh, humor or funniness is a different way compared to the West. So it's really, really, yeah, sometimes uh, Westerners may not be able to, 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 to get it. So I agree with Dimitri that, you know, every, different culture takes uh, humor in different ways. Right, and that's where we'll leave it here, here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Dimitri Buyas. Good evening. And Xiao Xing Sheng. Good night, everyone. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to one of our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.